0: FCS football podcast
1: with Joe DeLeon. Well, let's get fat. And
0: Sean Anderson. I am a
1: soothsayer. Welcome back to the Believe in FCS football podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. Today's episode, we will be previewing the defensive line group for FCS football in the spring, and we also have an update regarding a number of teams. Deciding not to play this upcoming spring season. Before we get to that, I am Joe DeLeon, joined by Sean Anderson. We are two former University of Rhode Island football players at the FCS level. So we, we've got a really good discussion today regarding these defensive linemen. We've got an interesting group, some big, meaty guys, some athletic freaks off the edge. We, before we can get into that, folks, uh, Sean, I believe you have a message for our listeners regarding BetOnline.
0: I definitely do, Joe. Uh, The Super Bowl, as we both know, is right around the corner. And if you're looking to place a bet on any of the sports going on, BetOnline.ag is the best and only place to lock it in. Folks, I'm feeling a bit lonely uh, given that every week I end up losing and losing and losing, and I'm tired of being the only one doing it. So please sign up for BetOnline.ag today with me so we can commiserate together. And I don't have to be the only one who is thinking how dumb or how brilliant I am after these bets have been placed. For game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. There's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.
1: All right, well, now we get to do the, the the worst part of this show. And, Sean, it just feels like the same exact thing that we did in the summer leading up to the season. We were chugging away at previews. We did so many of them. And then we reached this point where teams started opting out. Conferences started opting out. And we addressed them, and then eventually it hit its breaking point where yeah. none of the conferences were playing. We already knew that the Ivy League wasn't playing. We've had small programs and just a couple programs here and there saying that they weren't going to play, which didn't surprise me. But everything seemed like all systems were a go. Everything was good. However, I think the we talk about dominoes falling. Two gigantic ones. Montana, Montana State not playing this spring. Portland State, Mm. not playing. Indiana State, not playing. Dayton as well, not playing. Three of those programs are huge. They are programs that play in states where fans are going to come out and watch. They're probably one of the closest to profitable programs because they're the only programs in their state – And the people in those communities absolutely love those programs. It's not like the case of a St. Francis where there's maybe 500 people or 1,000 people that show up at these games. You see packed stadiums. And there's also a lot of local viewers on TV. So just to see those two programs, I'm already – I have like a pit in my stomach just seeing those two schools. And when we both saw it last week, I was hit a little hard, and I was just like, are we really about to do this again? Are we really about to go down this path again?
0: I think immediately for the players, and I think about how badly that I feel that they have had to go through the fall, and now all of the winter training, and winter training is just the worst, and it's even worse if you're in a cold place. Like, I don't know, Montana in the winter (laughs) And you're just thinking, oh, my God, 5 a.m., 5 a.m., 5 a.m., 5 a.m. Okay, lift, run, practice, walk through, lift, run, practice, walk through. And you're just going through it, going through it, going through it, waiting for that little light, which is game day. And you're waiting, and it's game day again, and you're waiting, it's game day again. It gets a little better, a little better, a little better. And then you're just destroyed thinking about, oh, my gosh, what have we been doing? We just lost another season. And... I just am so nervous that they made a decision that was rash like the Big Ten this previous fall where they immediately were faced with so much obstruction and uh, uh, anger and... Well, not, it, it was also not anger. It, it was just disappointment and what can we do to make this happen? And once they were faced with that, I feel like they took a real look what can we really do to make this happen? Now, I believe these five programs, they they need to take a look and really think if there's any possible way, because right now you just put these dudes and these coaches and the staff and the trainers and the people that e- that even film the practices through the ringer for nine months, nine plus months, whatever you got to get them some games. You have to. You just have to. And the safety stuff and all of that, I'm not trying to uh, – uh, what is it? What's the word? Disinfra- not disenfranchise, but you know, D- I'm not trying to take away it? from it. Invalidate. Yeah. Okay. I'm not trying to invalidate it. But you really just – got to get some games going for these guys or else your program is just not going to be – you're not going to bounce back. I just do not see that bouncing back.
1: No, and I get all that, and I – On the other hand, and I understand your perspective, I'm not as upset with the schools or as disappointed as you are. I am still disappointed that they're choosing not to play. I am just so reluctant to see what's going to happen over the next few months. If in January, and understandably, COVID cases are not good right now, but we have a vaccine. It's starting to be rolled out more. These games are not supposed to be played until the end of February, early March. Not saying that COVID is going to be completely gone and disappeared by then, because it's not. But hypothetically, when you're playing these games, if things are a little bit clearer, a little bit easier, maybe you can get access to some vaccines because they're being mass produced. I just don't understand, one, why they choose to just give up immediately. But on top of that, I worry that other programs that have significantly less resources see that and go, oh, crap. If they're choosing not to play and we thought we were fine, why are we playing? Or the other side of it is we were debating not playing and we're really close to saying no, but just kind of hanging by a thread. If someone else cut their thread, why would we not cut ours? So I have a very bad feeling, Sean. And this is not a perspective of me saying I have this information. This is me just saying... And I know people were upset when people were made it seem like, oh, the media members were rooting for the season to get canceled. Trust me, I am not. I do not want to do what we just did in the fall again. I do not. That sucked. That was boring. That was not FCS football. That was a bunch of exhibition games that we reacted to. It was 10 weeks of preseason football is what it was. I don't want that to happen again. But I am very afraid... That we are going to get to a point where it's going to be 40 or 50 teams playing this spring, and it's just going to be sloppy, not sloppy, unorganized, random, sporadic games like we had in the fall. I do not want that to happen. I do not, and I'm so worried that this is just the first piece and we might be headed for that direction.
0: I'd rather go uh, practice out in Montana again with all those guys every single day uh, than have to go through that again. And yes. We were just media members.
1: <laughs> uh, i think you could do i think you'd do fine if you suited up right now oh, dude, I don't know. in
0: montana you don't think you could do it i i mentally i don't think i'm there i think mentally that cold wind hits me i'm gonna be done
1: <laughs> you, really were to be a, you were supposed to be a lineman <laughs> All right, let's let's try to just be a little bit more positive here. Let's pretend we didn't have this discussion and let's talk about defensive linemen. We've got a really fun group here and the first one that we're going to bring up is somebody we actually played against Mike Green from JMU, 6 foot 3, 285. Man, this this dude is not easily movable not exactly a guy that's going to blow through offensive linemen and split double teams and get sacks he's not like an Aaron Donald no he he is and the best way you described him Sean when we were doing our notes is that this guy is a forklift he picks people up he moves them and he goes where he wants nobody tells uh our guy Mike Green where he's going no he makes the decisions he does the carrying he does the moving
0: This is a weird episode for me because I loved the offensive line episode, but for this, I just, you know, going against defensive linemen for four years, you kind of have an appreciation for which ones do it well, which ones don't. Mike Green is just... Uh, so strong and stout. It's just it's impressive to watch him and watch these these guards who are just as strong as him and they can't move him. And why can't you move him? I don't know. Probably because his technique is so good. Probably because his feet are planted in the right way and he gets his hips underneath them. And that's why oh the offensive guard is getting pushed back two yards and he's resetting the line of scrimmage. It, it's you just watch him and you're like nobody's gonna notice him. Nobody's gonna notice him on the field unless he gets a sack or a forced fumble or a tackle for loss. That's just not how. It's just an underappreciated position, especially with his form of defensive lineman. But you're watching him where you're really just isolate. You're like, how are they not moving him? Why is he not (laughs) going anywhere? And you just realize, wow, that dude is just kind of being masterful with almost a sumo-esque technique and not calling anybody football, a sumo wrestler, because I know that's a a common projection that is put onto the linemen of the sport by Rubes. But uh, the way that he is uh, technically sound about not getting pushed back, it's very, very impressive.
1: Yeah, certainly impressive, and, and that's the big key when we describe him, a guy that is just so hard to move and consistently taking up space, now kind of flipping the direction on a completely different style of player, Malik Ham, someone who I, I think our very first episode that we did when we previewed the Patriot League, we talked about Malik Ham, and his name has stuck with me ever since, and we continue to talk about him. Very long uh, a little bit on the leaner side, but well-built. There is not a lot of fat on that 260-pound frame that he has at six foot three. In addition to that, I really like him as a rusher. I think he's aggressive. I think he's got active hands, um, a bit of a swinger, if you will, just not afraid of contact. It kind of works and fights through it to the point where he's free and he can make a play on the football. And I have to point out, a guy has to be crazy to not wear gloves, and a lot of the clips that I saw of him, The guy was not wearing gloves. So Malik Ham, props to you. Please put some gloves on.
0: I, if I see somebody without gloves, it's, it's Okay. First of all, I'm going to try to squeeze his hand as hard as possible. I'm going to try to run him up. And then, if that doesn't work, I'm going to be like, okay, maybe this guy's going to meet me in the parking lot after the game because he's not wearing gloves. <laughs> I don't know. It's just one of those old-fashioned things. It's just like you think maybe anybody without wearing gloves probably is smoking a black and mild in the bathroom in between halftime. Uh, but <laughs> and I'm not putting that on anybody. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying... Wait, that's such a, no,
1: but like, I understand what you're saying. It's such like a 19. 19- 70s-esque thing. like you just don't see guys not wear gloves anymore but back in like 1970 in the nfl guys didn't care about wearing gloves and you tell me like a small program like lafayette in the 1970s they probably didn't even have gloves in the equipment room
0: so basically the gritty players you're either like gene upshaw who is who has got i don't know four pounds of padding on his hands or uh or uh, forearms or you're like malik ham with no gloves who's gonna say you can't hurt me <laughs> you think that you're gonna, I'm going to get hurt by scraping my knuckles on, on, on your helmet or something? No, that's not going to happen. And that's something I kind of like now. I, it's it's something, it's a little thing, but it's, I'm going to use this to give myself an edge to be tougher than you. It, and, and I know you saw the NFL films uh, of the um, uh, Alter Egos. Have you seen that one? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's about guys giving themselves, for those who haven't seen it, people giving themselves a different persona, like Brian Doppel. Dopp, uh, Dawkins Weapon X, you know, people ha- get themselves in a different mindset, and Ham does that. Uh, I mean, how could you not? The dude's built like a superhero. He's he's got great power coming from his legs, and he's got great lateral movement. If we're gonna talk about him as an actual technical pass rusher, great lateral movement, always in control of his body. Just a really impressive defensive lineman. Again, just you're watching them, you're like, wow, okay, I could see this guy on my team in the future.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I I think that that motor is the big thing for me. I think that that is going to earn him some opportunities, most likely as a UDFA, but having a motor like that is just really important for having the ability to pursue future endeavors uh, at the next level. Coming up, we're going to talk about a few more guys. We've got an interesting list. I believe we have four more guys that we're going to hit on. Uh, Before we do so, we're just going to take a really short commercial break. Next up on our list, an interesting one, Adrian Hope, six one two thirty three, 233. And Hope is another guy that we've talked about a lot, multiple times. He is a perplexing guy to watch on film because – He is so light. He's very thin. I was joking earlier with Ryan that it looks like he's 205 pounds maybe, but uh, he's gradually added more weight. When we talked about him originally as a freshman, we said the priority for Hope needs to be continually adding more bulk to his frame, and he's done a really good job of that. But ultimately, what makes him a really good pass rusher is that he is very bendy. He is very good at Um, getting around the edge, and he's not easy to latch onto because he's quick. And again, he's elusive because he is so bendy and loose uh, as a pass rusher. I really believe that this is going to be somebody who ends up being a linebacker at the next level. Ryan was the one who put that thought in my head, and then when I went and watched him again, um, it, it just reaffirmed that because he doesn't have the size to be an NFL pass rusher. But it's good that he has that skill set that he'll eventually turn into an off-ball guy and still be a really good blitzer.
0: Uh, Hope is really interesting to me. And once you put it in the linebacker perspective, which he did play some at, uh, at, at Furman. They did put him back mm-hmm. in the linebacker position. I like him. I like him a lot, both on the line and off the ball. Uh, he plays hard. He plays physical. And his fits are always proper. They're always the right fit. On a blocker coming around on the trap, a fullback coming down on him, a tight end coming down on him. He's always fitting these guys up. And he's not giving much ground for as light as he is. Pardon me. He's he's holding his ground. And that's really something that's important for me, uh, to see someone who's light, who's heavy boned and strong enough to take on blocks and not get rolled up on. Uh, he does his job on every play also, which is something... I'm You're watching him, you're like, okay, okay, this is where that guy messed up, this is where that guy messed up, and then, oh, there's Hope doing his job again. Okay, busted coverage, but Hope was at the quarterback. Okay, linebacker missed the fit, but Hope was holding two gaps or something like that. He was just taking up lockers, and it's just, you're watching him, you're watching him, you're like, when is this guy going to mess up? When is he going to do something wrong? And you just don't see it, and if it is, it's very, um, very slim chances that it'll happen.
1: Yeah, the play strength does not match what you would expect with his size and frame, and that is just another fantastic aspect. Speaking of uh, play strength, somebody who I absolutely love talking about, and he actually came on the NFL Prospects podcast part of Believe, the other show that I do. Ryan interviewed him, and just hearing him talk was really, really interesting. I listened to the whole interview all the way through. Joseph Smith from Austin P he is not a typical defensive lineman. Five foot nine to 85. You don't see guys that are that short play at the division one level. You just don't. Those guys usually end up at Division two programs. And if those guys are playing, they're usually getting pushed around and they don't have much of an impact. I have never seen a guy like Josephus Smith put up the production he has and dominate on the field the way that he does at his size. You would not expect just looking at the the roster that he play he plays like he's 6'5" 330. That is the, the, the I think the comparable <laughs> way of, of describing him. He is the stoutest man in the FCS. I am putting that that moniker on his name. The stoutest man in he's the an FCS. He's imperial stout. Yes. He just not movable and it, it, it's just crazy to watch because I'm like, he's not supposed to be able to do that. He's shorter than me. And it, it's just like, holy crap. I, I don't know. It's inspiring to see a guy like that be so physically dominant against guys that are so much bigger than him.
0: Physically, Physical, physical dominance aside, Joe, I saw him as a literal D battery, both in uh, <laughs> makeup of his body but the energy that he brought onto the field. You're not using a D battery to power a remote control. You're using a D battery to operate something that's big. That's important. And this dude is an energy guy. You put him on the field, he is going to provide so much juice. Other guys are going to feed off of him and he's going to drain it from the other team because you're like, "Why am I not beating him? Why am I not beating him? Why is why why can I not push him back? Why can I not get around him?" And he's just working so hard. He's constantly fighting. His hands are constantly just jabbing you right in the chest. And he's just awesome. He, lo- You know what I really like about him? He loves the game. And you know how I know that, Joe? Because you only play with that much energy if you really, really love the game. And that's a guy that you want on your team. I would take 20 Josephus Smiths on my team if I could have that. If I'm a coach, this is the guy that I'm recruiting. This is the guy. Because you just do not get that replicated all the time with that much energy, that much passion, and that much production. He's a great, great player.
1: Yeah, talking about production, 19 and a half tackles for loss in his career. And he had 18 and a half in one season. There are guys that don't even amount that in a four-year career as a starter. Seven and a half sacks. Just crazy. I love watching him play. Easily one of my favorite players. I'm just obsessed with seeing what he's going to be able to do, and he's going to be somebody who's going to get overlooked by the NFL out the gate, but come the CFL and the XFL, when they come knocking, I think, for him, he will be productive at either of those levels. Most likely at the CFL, I could see him turning into a staple and a name for CFL fans. Because they're not as worried about size. They just take good football players. They take the guys that the NFL are like, ah, he might be productive, but he's a little too small. And I ultimately, I think that he'll, he'll find ways to be productive um, at other levels separate from the NFL. Coming up, we've got two more guys. Before we get to it, let's talk about Kansas City Stakes, new sponsor. With a new year comes tons of new big games in sports. With big games, you need big stakes. Kansas City Stakes has the cuts that you crave to celebrate the playoffs and... And the big game with KansasCityStakes.com. i oh, sorry. Visit kansascitystakes.com slash day and save up to $25 on combos. Perfect for your game day. Plus, get free shipping with code BLEAV, BLEAV at checkout. Try out the snack pack combo. I read this yesterday, and it made me so damn hungry. And I haven't eaten lunch, and it's making me hungry. I... Picked the worst damn time to record this show. Mini beef wellington steak burger sliders, mac oh. and cheese melts, and shrimp wrapped in bacon. Holy crap. Surf and I, turf? I guess. Oh, oh God. Man. Oh. oh, man. I My lunch better get here soon. Uh, every,
0: get, okay. Do we want to scrap these next two guys so I could, I don't know, maybe place an order with Kansas City Steaks <laughs> or go upstairs and try to replicate it?
1: <laughs> you should. I don't think you can replicate it. Every order is flash frozen delivered straight to your door. Satisfaction guaranteed on, or your money back. Basically, every cut of steak imaginable, plus appetizers, desserts, barbecue, and so much more. Again, go to slash game day and use that promo code BELIEVE, B L E A V, at checkout for free shipping. Kansas City Steaks, big games, big taste. Oh, man, I, I need to. Lock it back in, Joe. Lock it back in. Trace Mascaro, Sam Houston State, one of the last two guys that we have on here. Six foot one, 270. Someone who played a number of different spots. They were putting him inside, playing one technique, three technique, and then they were bumping him outside to play a little uh, off the edge. I really like seeing him because he's got a quick first step. And we talked about Ellerson Smith a while back and how he's a, a swinger. I kind of see a little bit bit of that from Mascaro, where he's aggressive and it's almost like he's punching guys in, in, in terms of the how aggressively he's using his arms to disengage. High motor guy, seeing him chase down quarterbacks and also chase after the football is really fun to watch.
0: Joe, I first, I originally thought that you said Sam Houston steak, and I, I maybe, maybe I was still uh, wrapped around in my own head, but now I'm uh, kind of shaken out of it now that we talk about Mascaro. Uh, the way that his hands lock on to a defense, uh, offensive lineman, uh, he's always fighting for that chest. It makes, me, it makes me think that he played some offensive line in high school because he's not always going to sideswipe you. He's going to see, he will, he can, he will get around the corner. He's very, very good at that. But uh, his hand placement, he is going for that chest because he knows if he can get the chest, he can pull you down or he can rip you away or he can just push you back. He's got a lot of great tools that he can use and it all starts with his hands. Different guys on defense, they all, someone's going to come in and say, I thought it all started with the legs and the hips and the feet. I'm like, okay, yeah, it does. But at the same time, when you're really setting up a move or you're setting up uh, what you want to do on this play or however it is, your real kicker is going to be specified for you. Whereas it could be uh, your pad level or with Mascoro, it's going to be his hand placement on your chest. So he is really, really developing that trait to work around all his tools and he's finding great success with it.
1: All right, let's wrap up with this last player. He's an interesting one to talk about. Jared Brinkman from Northern Iowa, one of the last remaining guys that's still staying there. Six foot two, 291. There's a video of him out there on his Twitter of him benching 500 pounds like it's nothing. Big, big, strong, powerful rusher. A lot of a bull rush from him. Just a, oh my God, I can't even think of the best way to describe him. He's just a mean, strong guy that is just not easily movable. A little bit similar to Mike Green as we were talking about before, but he's bigger. He's bigger and I think he's stronger.
0: Jared Brinkman is an interesting specimen uh, because he's got a weird wrestler lean. He was a wrestler and he's constantly using his weight to his advantage. I, I You don't ever really see him Getting off balance, he's putting other people off balance. But the the biggest part with him, if he crosses your face, if he's got a slant coming, or if he's got a, a game, if his helmet gets across the offensive lineman's helmet, the offensive lineman is in trouble, and the entire construction of the play is in trouble because you cannot physically get your helmet back around to where it needs to be. Because if you don't, he's going to get a tackle for loss for four yards, which he constantly does. He's too big. He's too strong. You have to be, you have, you just, if you're an offensive lineman, you have to be in the correct placement before he beats you because it's not something where you can make up on. It's not like uh, you're, you're past setting on somebody they take inside and you still have the option to uh, uh, post step forward back inside and try to counteract it or push him down the line behind everybody else. There's no coming back from Brinkman getting across your face. There's no option. You just have to hope that the running back or quarterback cuts back before he gets there.
1: And one of the things that you tend to hear with defensive linemen that are just really powerful.
0: He's like an iceberg.
1: An iceberg. That's an interesting one. I could see him being a player that gets an opportunity in a camp, a training camp, and then possibly said that the coaches go, let's try it fullback. I, I, I kind of see that from him in terms of his size, his power, his leg drive. I'd like to see a little bit more of him athletically. It's kind of hard to project that as, uh, you know, playing in the inside as a defensive lineman, but I can kind of see that power level. And it reminds me a little bit of Patrick Ricard, who was a defensive lineman at Maine, who ended up turning into a Pro Bowl fullback. I could see that shot being provided to Brinkman if he's asked to slim down a little bit, maybe down to 270, somewhere in that range to get a little bit faster. But overall, um, just a a powerful dude that might work out as a, as a fullback in the NFL.
0: I see him differently. Uh, I I do not see Ricard and Brinkman as similar style of play. Maybe Jordan Phillips from Buffalo. Is that the guy that came from Stanford a couple years ago?
1: Uh, I think so.
0: Okay. I see him more like that and not like the Patrick Ricard transition. That's just me. You got your thoughts. I got my thoughts. I, that's just what I wanted to say because someone's going to come in and say they don't play the same, you know, they don't play the same. So,
1: Okay. we're on all different right. pages on that All right, well all right. you do you uh, right. well thanks for tuning in folks uh, follow us on social media at Jody Leone at Sanderson Radio at Believe Podcasts um, and to Believe.com to find our shows as well as hundreds of other amazing shows and hit that subscribe button to stay up to date on all of our content thank you again we will talk to you next week